Stand with me if you would. First Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to read beginning in verse number 1 uh, today. And next week we will be in chapter 4. And then the next two Sundays we will be in chapter 5, which will conclude the series in First Peter uh, at the end of September. But we want to read the first 11 verses of chapter 4. This is a challenging word today. I'm just going to be right up front with you uh, at the very beginning. This, this sermon is not for spiritual sissies. This is going to, this is going to hit us and challenge us. I hope it does. The word should, it is a two-edged sword. It's supposed to divide asunder soul and spirit, and it's supposed to reveal the intentions and motives of our heart. And then we're supposed to get those motives and intentions aligned with God's will. That's what the word of God is to do. Not just make us feel good and warm and fuzzy. Amen. It is supposed to challenge us and correct our lives when we need it. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And in verse um, number three, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries, In regard to these, they think it strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things, verse 7, is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in all your prayers. Verse 8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as an oracle of God. If he ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your presence today. And thank you for your word that convicts us, challenges us, transforms us, and lifts us to a higher plane of discipleship. And Lord, we desire to walk worthy of the calling wherewith we have been called. I ask God that you would help me to speak not a single word of my own this morning, but only that which comes from you. And I pray, God, that you would supernaturally captivate the attention of everyone in this room, that you would challenge us in these moments to be the people of God and to walk in the way that you have called us to walk. Lord, this is a difficult time. It is a difficult world. But Lord, you have given us victory. You said in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So God, I pray that you would stir us, challenge us, give us new hope and a new commitment to the life that you have called us to. Anoint me, not because I deserve it, but because I need it. Anoint me to preach your word with full authority 
and with clarity, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I read a book by a gentleman by the name of Oz Guinness. I had never read one of his books before, but when I did, I immediately uh, loved the way that he approached difficult subjects. Uh, I've become a real avid fan of his. I don't agree with everything he says, uh, but he has a very unique uh, perspective at which he looks at our culture and our society. He is an evangelical Christian, obviously. He is a social critic, and he is an author. Uh, He wrote this in um, one of his most fascinating works. He said, I grew up in China, in a China that had been ravaged by two centuries of European and American adventuring, and then by World War II, and then by a brutal civil war. Again, it says we lived in Najing, which was then the nation's capital, but there were very few good schools to go to. So at the age of five, I uh, found myself setting off by a plane to a boarding school in Shanghai. Obviously, the conditions behind the decision to send me out at that age were extreme, and I was not the only one launched on that path so young. But it was the first time in my life that I'd ever been away from my parents and on my own. Again, I was just five. So to give me a constant reminder of the North Star of the faith that was at the center of my family life, my father searched for two small, smooth, flat stones. And he painted on them the life motto that he had lived by and the life motto of my mother. For many years, those two little stones were tangible memos in the pockets of my gray flannel shorts that were the uniform of most English schoolboys in those days. In my right-hand pocket was my father's motto, found faithful. And then in my left-hand pocket was my mother's life motto, please him. He writes, many years have passed since then, and both of those little painted stones were lost in the chaos of escaping China when Mao Zedong and the People's Army eventually overran Nanjing, and they returned the capital to Beijing and began their iron and bloody rule of the entire country. But he said, I have never forgotten the lesson of those little stones. Followers of Jesus are called to be found faithful and called to please him always, everywhere, and in spite of everyone and everything. These two little stones were the north star of Oz Guinness's faith. They brought him back to center. They reminded him what he was called to do, where he came from, and where he was headed. In this series, we've been talking about living as exiles, living in a world to which we don't really belong. Living in a world where we feel like foreigners because... It's no longer the world that we long for. We want to be with Jesus. We want to live lives in his presence. And this world has turned so 
so powerfully against the cause of Christ. So today I want to talk about the motto of the exile. What, what should be our motto as we navigate this world in which we walk and live, but a world to which we do not belong? The context of 1 Peter chapter 4 in these first 11 verses is an interesting context. If you remember last Sunday in chapter 3, we talked about the suffering of Christ and the suffering of Christ, how it brings the glory of God. You remember in chapter 3 that he talks about Christ in verse 18, suffering in the flesh. And we talked about what that text means. But now Peter turns to his readers, the Christians that were living in the northwest part of Asia Minor. Uh, Many of these Christians, most of them actually were Gentiles. And he calls on them to follow the example of Jesus. And he says to them, I want you to arm your mind. I want you to arm your mind with the same mind. I want you to arm yourself with the same mind that Christ had. Now, Paul talks about spiritual armor. We are to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. We're to gird our loins with truth. But here, Peter says, I want you to arm your mind with the same mind that Christ had. Literally, He is talking about having the same insight, having the same outlook, the same view of Christ, the same point of view. Notice verse number one again. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. And then look at this last phrase. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What does that phrase mean? He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased ceased from sin. There are several that have suggested possible um, explanations for that text. Some people believe that it means that we are entirely sanctified. That is that the moment that we place our faith in Christ and we die to the old man, we cease sinning altogether. How many in this room wishes that was the case, all right? But in most cases, that is not the case. We still struggle with sin. We still battle sin. There are other people that believe that this text means that when a person suffers and he experiences persecution, he breaks the power of sin, that that suffering breaks the power of sin that was rooted in the flesh and somehow atones for the sin in his life. Others believe that when a person decides to accept suffering and says, okay, I will stand up for Christ even if I suffer, that when they do that, they have chosen decisively to break away from a sinful lifestyle. We're going to go back to number three because I think that's what it means. Others believe that it is speaking of Christ and when he suffered, he did an end to sin. And we know that's true, but it doesn't really apply to believers here. So I think that's not what the text is saying. And then others say that when a person suffers to the point of death, they will be freed from sin. That too is true, but neither four or five, though true, meet this context when Peter tells us to arm our mind with the same or arm our mind with the same mind of Christ. You see, when Christ chose suffering, remember, as he's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness and he could have avoided suffering. He could have, he could have turned the stones into bread and not suffered um, physically. He could have 
um, done a number of things to avoid suffering. But when he chose suffering, he rejected the opposite, which would have been a life of sin and disobedience to the will of the Father. Even in Gethsemane, when he is wrestling in Gethsemane and he's saying, if there's any way that this cup can pass, let it be, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In other words, Jesus said, I will embrace the suffering of the cross if that's what it takes to do your will. And so when Jesus accepted suffering, he made a decision to make a break with the choice of life after the flesh and instead said, I'm going to follow the will of God. When we say in this room, those of us who are in this room, when we say a firm no to our temptations, we are arming ourselves with the point of view of Christ. We are saying we will not indulge in sin. We will not live a sinful lifestyle. We would rather accept persecution and suffering and being ostracized than we would to follow the flesh and live a life of sin. After all, it would be foolish to suffer if we were not committed to the life of holiness. Who would do that? If we say, I'll take the suffering because I'm going to take a stand for Christ, it means that we have made a decisive decision. I'm, that sounds repetitive, but it is a decisive decision. We have, we have determined that we are going to break with the lifestyle that is after the flesh. So we are exiles. We're living in a world to which we do not belong. And yet the world, listen, watch me, is pushing us to engage its norm. The world is pushing us to engage its fashion, its trends. There was a time when Christians actually said no to the world. There was a time that we really worked to be different than the world. We really believe that the scripture that says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, we really believe that was something that we should pursue. But that time by and large seems to have left the church. We've become very enamored by the world and we have accepted so many gray areas that at one time were not gray areas at all. Whether it's in ways of dress or entertainment or sexuality or alcohol or drugs, the trends continue to slide and it seems that the church continues to slide with those trends, always staying a certain distance from the world. But instead of pursuing Christ, we are just trying to stay a certain distance from the world. And as the world goes down, we tend to go down with it instead of pursuing his likeness and arming ourselves with his mind. We become enamored with the world. Shunning the world is not as easy as it sounds. Hebrews eleven twenty five says the pleasure of sin lasts for a season. So sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. There's something about sin that is enjoyable. And so it is difficult at times to say no to sin. It can be attractive. It's easy to disobey. And not everything in scripture is crystal clear. And so we question ourselves, did earlier generations make the right decisions about gray areas? Everybody has to make up their minds for themselves. But we ask those questions. Jesus said, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but you keep them in the world. And so if we're kept in the world, does God really want us to be so separate that we have a difficult time reaching them? We ask ourselves these questions. How do we keep in touch with a pleasure 
loving, affluent society. And we're all tempted to conform because we don't want anybody to think of us as a killjoy. We don't want to be thought that way by others. Peter addresses this issue and he stresses that Christians must regard themselves, look at me, as being done with sinful pleasures, which will in the end lead to eternal judgment. There are three assertions that Peter makes. I want to deal with each of them. I'll move rather quickly. Number one, the first assertion is this. While we are still in the flesh, God calls us to make an ongoing choice of holiness. Look at verse number two, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now listen to me. There are two ways, and they are in opposition to one another. But there are two ways that we can choose to live. We can live in accordance with the sinful desires of our human flesh. We can do what our flesh wants to do. That's one way. The only other way to live is to to live according to the will of God and to conform our lives to his will. As I said earlier, and some of you have heard this illustration uh, maybe a dozen times from me, but uh, this is to me uh, a, a way that it really makes sense. Most of us believe that we should be distant from the world. We believe that we should not be like the world. And so we have made it our goal to keep our distance from the world. And this is just a crude illustration that that maybe will help us understand. And so if the world is here, we want to stay this far apart from the world. But the problem has been over the last 20, 30, 50 years, the world has gotten worse We've kept our distance, but we too have become less holy. We have still kept our distance from the world, but we have, instead of conforming ourselves to the will of God and becoming more like him, we have simply made our goal to keep our distance from the world. We are called not to keep our distance from the world, but to conform our lives to his will. Say amen if you believe that. And so we have two choices, live in accordance to the human desires or conform to the will of God. Peter says enough time has been wasted in the old lifestyle. Now it's time for believers, Peter says, to spend their time conforming to God's will. And then Peter lists six things. They're all kind of shocking. He mentions the word lewdness. The Greek word for lewdness is unbridled and outrageous acts that offend public decency. You don't have to say, man, you don't have to nod your head. You don't have to do anything. But I will just say to you, if you have lived for 20 or 30 years, you know that how we define lewdness in our culture today and what you can see now on television and what you can see on Facebook, we would have been appalled to see, talk about, or say 20 or 30 years ago. There has been an indulging of lewdness. Lust, the word simply means to crave for that which is forbidden. Drunkenness simply means an excess of alcohol. Revelries, nocturnal, literally means nocturnal, carousing and parading. 
watch that every night on television in every major city. There is nocturnal carousing going on. Drinking parties. The Greek word is patas. And it doesn't even mean drunkenness. It means simply drinking for the sake of a party. And abominable idolatries are the final one that Peter lists. And certainly he picks out really big, kind of shocking um, behaviors. But notice that three of these terms have sexual overtones. And two of these terms involve alcohol. And they all fit under the guise of idolatry. And if anyone in this room would just be honest, we would all say... Regardless of our opinion, the church, by and large, has lowered its standard on both of those issues, sexuality and the use of the drug alcohol. Peter is saying we are to arm ourselves with the outlook of Christ, even if it means suffering, even if it means that we are ostracized because we've spent enough time doing those things. It's now time that we spend time doing the will of God. And let me just tell you, with this kind of stance taken, people are going to speak poorly of you. Look at what Peter says. This is just it's right here in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Peter says. In regard to these, they, the world, thinks it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Running with me, them means to conform to them. The world's reaction to our non-conformity will be to slander us, to marginalize us. This is especially difficult for young people who are trying to grow up in a world that has just gone bonkers and they want to live for Jesus. And yet no one, it seems like around them, has any clue as to what that looks like. And we need to stand with them, not be judgmental of them, not be critical of them, but stand with them and support them as they try to stand against a world that is against them. This is the world that confronts believers Today, they will slander you. They will speak evil of you if you don't conform to them. From 2009 to 2015, there was a TV musical called Glee. It followed the misfit members of McKinley High School Glee Club. It followed them through the travails of high school and their attempts to win show choir nationals. Lots of little side stories that made up this TV program. Christian writer Amy Lapine Peterson notes that by the season's finale, the creator of Glee, Ryan Murphy, had turned the show into a preachy, patched together morality play. As a matter of fact, she, the Christian writer Peterson, called Murphy the producer of the program, an evangelist who had one guiding principle, and that guiding principle was tolerance. We were born this way, he preaches. And we should accept ourselves and others just as they are. And for six years, that infiltrated young people that were watching this. But Peterson reminds us that the Christian story tells us that we were born broken. Instead of accepting that brokenness, Christ wants to transform us and make us his. Just listen to me this morning. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God expects us, look at me for just a moment, He expects us to make an ongoing choice to holiness, 
no matter how much the world pushes back. Say amen if you believe that. Number two, while the struggle of suffering and being slandered is great. And by the way, next week I'm going to talk about suffering. And, and I finished the sermon yesterday. And I don't like to say my sermons are going to be great, but that sermon's going to be great. All right, so you need to be here next week. But while the struggle of suffering and being slandered is great, God calls us to remember that he will have the final word. I love this. We've forgotten this. This is why we struggle. Uh, Look at what the text says. They, those who slander you, who speak evil of you, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. It's powerful, powerful truth here. Regardless of what the human verdict of a life lived after the flesh may be, it still stands under divine judgment. Let me explain. No matter what people that are living after the flesh say about their life, no matter what they say to you about not living that life, no matter how... What, no matter what glowing reports they, they, they give you about following the flesh and the desires and just being whoever you are to be, no matter how glowing their verdict is, that life will still come under divine judgment at the end. No matter how, how much you feel like I'm left out, your life will come under the verdict of divine judgment at the end. Peter says that there will be judgment to those who practice godlessness. To those who live that way, they will be judged. As well as those who slander and abuse Christians and try to push them into a life following the flesh. I'm just going to be honest with you. That kind of mentality seems to have the upper hand right now. It floods every television screen. Even conservative valued programs and news media still is flooded with a secular way of living and a after the desires of the human flesh. The upper hand seems to be that this is the way to live, to live free, to follow your own desires, to be whatever you want to be. It will make you happy. But no matter, regardless of the fact that they seem like they have the upper hand, God will have the final word. It's important for us to remember that today. Judgment is not a fairy tale. God has a plan to judge both the living and the dead. Fedor Dostoevsky, a famous Russian novelist, was right when he said, if there is no God and if there is no judgment, everything is permitted. You see, that's why... All restraints been lifted. That's why lewdness and lust and revelry and all of that just happens now. Listen, look at me for just a moment. It's because people are living their lives as if there is no God. As if there is no judgment. And if there is no God and no judgment, if this world is all there is and sin is pleasurable, then by all means, live it up. But if there is a God... And if there is judgment, the God that will judge will have the final word, not how I feel right now. Apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge. Look, he will judge the living and the dead. 
He says, I want you to preach the word. I want you to be ready in season and out of season. I want you to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But instead, they will, they will go according to their own desires because they have itching ears and they will heap to themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. Folks, this verse right here is American Church 2020. Not enduring sound doctrine. Heaping to themselves teachers because they want their ears scratched. They want to follow the flesh instead of recognizing that there's a day coming that God is going to judge the living and the dead. Those who follow their flesh will have no answer before God. Christians who have suffered, however, for their stance will be vindicated and they will experience and enjoy eternal life. Let me also say to you that our world today is rejecting the twin notions of holiness and judgment, but we must proclaim them both. God stands against godless and sinful behavior and this lifestyle of following the flesh contains within it the seeds of its own destruction And God will judge it. Number three. um, We're going to put the first two together. Since the struggle of suffering is real. Listen. If you take a stand for holiness. it, It may not be pretty for you. Your friends. Your co-workers. Your fellow students. They might make your life difficult. And if you think that's true today, let's fast forward five or ten years, it's even going to be truer. So the struggle of suffering is real, and until Jesus returns, judgment delays. And I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Maybe this year, maybe a decade from now, maybe a century from now, maybe two centuries. I don't know. I don't make those predictions. All I know is that right now judgment is delaying and the struggle is real. So here's what we have to do. We have to stand with one another in the body of Christ. Encourage one another and strive together to reach a lost world. More and more, we're not going to get lots of encouragement from the world. We're going to need to stand with one another. Here's what Peter says. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And then thirdly, as each one has received a gift, minister to the other as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Three calls. Let me just give them to you real quickly. Number one, there's a call to the fervent love of those within the church. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. The word fervent is the Greek word ektines, and it means stretched out love, fully stretched. It, It means taking love and stretching it out as far as you can take it. And this is all about the body of Christ. This is have fervent love for one another. All the one another statements are about inside the body of Christ. We are to ectanes. We are to stretch out our love as far as we can take it with others in the body of Christ. That means those who grumble, that get on your nerves. That That means those maybe who don't practice the best hygiene. That may mean those who are critical all the time. 
That may mean those who are high drama. Anybody know anybody that's high drama? Don't raise your hand. I was just kidding. Um, What about those people that don't serve like you think they ought to serve? They're not as faithful as they ought to be. They're making choices that I wish they wouldn't make. All of those people in the body of Christ, we are called to stretch out our love as far as we can. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. We've glossed this text over because we have limited the sins to those that are committed against us. And we think it's only about formal forgiveness. This is not talking about the world. This is talking about in the body of Christ. This is talking about those things that annoy you. You don't want to be around them. You'd rather not. And, but Peter says, if we're going to survive, we're not going to get help from the world. The world's not going to be your friend and say, hey, I'm going to encourage you in this holy lifestyle. I'm right behind. Not somebody who's following the flesh. They're not going to do that. So the only way we're going to be encouraged is if we encourage one another. And if we only encourage those people that never annoy us, well, you'll never encourage me, I'm sure. And I may not encourage you because we always, there are always folks that, that are not like we want them to be. We are to stretch out, ectenes, our love, fully stretch out our love because love covers a multitude of sins. Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, said in a 2001 commencement at Middlebury College, he said this, when we look for what's best in the person that we happen to be with at the moment, we are doing what God does. So in appreciating our neighbor, we are participating in something very sacred. How many, um, hear me out before you raise your hand, how many are glad that when you go into your prayer time, your prayer closet, and you pray. God doesn't immediately start calling out all your faults and talking about all the bad things that he sees in you. And by the time he's done calling all those things out, he's just decided he didn't want to talk to you anyway. How many are glad God doesn't do that to you? Instead, when you come into his presence, he already knows the stuff about you, but he doesn't talk about the stuff about you. He says, I'm so glad to see you. You're my child. I see you through my own blood and my own righteousness. I see you as an heir, a joint heir with God, joint heir with Jesus Christ. I see you as more than an overcomer. That's how God sees us. And yet when people come into our lives, into our presence, that annoy us, we immediately see the ugly stuff about them. We immediately see the things that we don't like. We immediately say, oh, they're drama. They grumble all the, they criticize everything. We immediately see all of those things. That's not arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. To arm ourselves with the mind of Christ is to see no one after the flesh any longer, but to see in them what Jesus is making them to become. It may sound old-fashioned. Mr. Rogers' theology was radical in 1962 when his show first debuted. And it remains radical today. C.S. Lewis talked about love and he said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. 
Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock that heart up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will not change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. We're to love fervently. We're to stretch our love out. And folks, can I tell you, we're going to need it the next decade. We're going to need to encourage one another. We're going to need to stretch our love out across one another. And instead of seeing the ugly and the worst, see the Christ in one another. Secondly, there is a call to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. There's two or three times the New Testament says do things without grumbling and complaining. Evidently, the Holy Spirit, when he inspired, knew how we were going to be, right? We grumble a lot. We are to be inconvenienced for the sake of it. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Five times the word hospitality is used in the New Testament. And in the New Testament context, generally hospitality was given toward a traveling evangelist that would be in the community. He would knock on the door and say, I need, I have a place, I need a place to stay. And uh, I don't know what just said. Did I blow up or something? <laughs> something did. There's smoke coming out of there, reader. Am I gone too long or what? I don't get it. Woo. All right. Don't anybody say I am not a, a Pentecostal. All right. Don't, don't go tell all your friends that quit. Cause I wasn't Pentecostal enough that I evidently, I, what's wrong, Josh. Now, what do you, huh? It's the fan. The fan blew up. Okay. All right. So anyway, I have no idea where I'm at though. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Nobody likes, nobody likes our schedule messed up. Um, Kyle sent me an email on Monday uh, from one of our missionaries. We had three missionaries with us two weeks ago. And, uh, and then the last week, um, they were at Kyle's church in Dunkirk. And um, I won't tell you which of the three, but Kyle has a young man in his church by the name of Ryan. And Ryan is, um, uh, has some emotional um, shortcomings. And um, he, he's a young man, but obviously um, has not, has not matured to the point of, of being able to normally communicate with adults. And, and, uh, when he first started coming, I think he even had some hygiene issues and, uh, but he kept coming and I think he wears a walkie on his belt and says that he's a fireman and he's, and it's not even a real walkie. And so it's one of those situations and, and, but he's got Kyle's cell phone number. Kyle, Kyle gave him his cell phone number and I'll be with Kyle every once in a while and Kyle will get a call and it's Ryan and he'll talk to Ryan for a little while. But, but anyway, the missionaries were there last week and Ryan came up to one of them and, um, he, you know, he was, he was, um, monopolizing the missionary's time. And there were two or three people wanting to talk to him. And Ryan was telling about his dad that had cancer and lived across the street and wished the missionary would come over and pray for him. And, and, and the missionary wasn't really sure if that story was all accurate. And, and there were people waiting to talk to him. And so finally he just kind of rushed through the conversation and, and sent Ryan on his way, but he couldn't sleep Sunday night. And he emailed Kyle Monday morning and said, I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit 
And he said, I hope someone will reach out to him and we'll go over and pray for his father. And he said, you would have thought that I would have learned that on the mission field. He was on the mission field and he told a story about someone very much like that. And God really chastised him and he learned. And God did a miracle in this young man's life. And he said, but I didn't stop and think that. I just hurried him through. And I thought, how often do we do that? We have our agenda. We're, we're moving. I, I mean, I find myself walking, self walking across the lobby sometimes, really thinking about what I'm going to do, and I may miss an opportunity. We all do that. But folks, listen, the world's hard. It's difficult. And we're going to have to be willing to be inconvenienced without grumbling to encourage one another in the body of Christ through these difficult days. Say amen if you believe that. And then number three, I'm going a little long here. Number three, and if I go any longer, who knows what will blow up next. So number three, there is a call to utilize our gifts to encourage the body and reach the broken world. Just look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace. Of God. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to put this all together real quickly. Go ahead and stand. Our gifts are to be used um, to minister to one another. Listen, if you're sitting there, look at me for just a moment. If you're sitting there with a gift and you're not using it, you're being selfish. If you have a gift of loving someone or a gift of serving or a gift of giving, or if you have a gift of, of singing or a gift of teaching and you're not using it, you're being selfish. Peter says, in these days, when the world's pressing against us, we need to stretch out our love. We need to be hospitable to one another without complaining. And we need to use our gifts to minister grace to other people. You're not showing off your stuff and how good you are. You are ministering grace to a world that needs grace, to a brother or sister needs grace. We are so internally focused right now and certainly the pandemic has not (laughs) done anything but exasperates our tendency to be internally focused. Peter would say to us, live holy in an ungodly world. Live always with judgment in view. The Lord has the final word and live with a broken world in mind. What what is the impetus for all of that? What what motivates that and drives that? It's verse seven. I didn't say anything about verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. This thing's winding down. Jesus is coming at some point. So be serious and watchful in your prayers. I did two funerals this week. One on Monday, Roger Clark, great man. I don't know that I should say I enjoyed a funeral, but I enjoyed that funeral because um, Roger was a believer. Joe Ellen's a believer. Two sons, they're believers. Roger and Joe Ellen's granddaughters, they're all believers. It seemed like everybody in that chapel was a believer. So when I talked about hope, man, they're all smiling and they know that this is not the end. They, they, they're sad. They're grieving. They lose someone they love, but they're not grieving as those who are hopeless. I, I mean, there was, there was crying, but there was laughter. There's hugging. There's excitement for Roger. They know that he's not suffering any longer. They know they're going to see him again. 
They know that this world is coming to an end, that we're only exiles, and so there was great hope. I did another funeral on Wednesday. It was a very remote connection of a family that I pastored in Winchester. This family was connected to them. They didn't have a pastor. They didn't go to church. And the difference, the contrast was stark. I'm not sure there was a believer in that chapel. And I saw grief that had no hope. I saw fear. There were many masks being worn Monday. There were many masks being worn Wednesday, but behind the mask was fear. Because they thought this is all there is. This is all there is. There's no hope. As I was driving to the cemetery, getting ready to do the committal, immediately the verse, and I put it on Facebook and tweeted it just because it it reminded me, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If this is all there is, no wonder we're sad and afraid. Listen, this is a hard world. It's a hard world, but folks, Christians should not be walking around sad and depressed and discouraged, not afraid. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. How many believe the word is true? We're more. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Rejoice. I've overcome the world. It's hard. And, and we're not going to get a lot of world support, but if we will stretch our love out and be inconvenienced without rumbling and use our gifts to minister to one another. We can be strong and healthy and vital. See lives transformed here and in Dunkirk and in Hartford City. Listen, we've got good news. We don't have sad news. We don't have bad news. And we don't have fake news. We have good news. Amen. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news. So let's not walk around acting like we don't have any good news to share. We've got some really good news to share. So what is our North Stars? Like Oz Guinness. Let's make sure we're found faithful. And let's make sure that we please Him. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. You can't please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Let's be found faithful. Let's make certain we please Him. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that uh, in a world that seems to be out of control and that often stands against the absolute truth of the gospel, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Glory of Christ lives in us, dwells in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, so we don't have the spirit of bondage again to fear. We have love and peace and a sound of mind. Help us to walk in holiness. Help us, Lord, to live with the end in view. Help us, Lord, to uh, encourage one another through hospitality, through our gifts, and through our ectenes love. 
stretched out and fervent so that we can at the end of this life hear him say well done good and faithful servant may our aim be always to please you in everything and in all that we do with heads bowed for just a moment this morning I want to ask just a simple question or two First of all, if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you're not serving Him today. Your heart is not right with Him. You know that. You know that you don't have a relationship with Him, but you want one. He invites you today just to simply call out on Him and receive Him as Lord and Savior. Is there anyone in this room that would slip up a hand and say, would you pray for me? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know with absolute certainty that I am ready to meet him. Is there anyone that would just slip up a hand and say, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Anyone in this room today? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Someone else this morning that would say, I want to know for sure that my heart is right with God. Anyone else? Would you all pray this prayer with me out loud? And for that person that lifted their hand and for others maybe that should have lifted their hands but didn't, I want to make sure you pray it as well. But I want you to believe it as you pray. Just a simple prayer. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that you're my Savior. I know that you are my Savior. I give you my life today. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. And make me yours. Today with my mouth... I confess you as my Lord, and in my heart I believe you are alive. And with your strength and with your help, I will serve you the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. At the close of the service this morning, if you raised your hand or if you didn't but should have, I want to invite you just to come up to the front and... uh, Pastor Josh will meet you and pray with you and give you a little booklet to help you in your walk with the Lord. How many today would say, I want God's help in these difficult days to live a holy life with the end in view? How many would raise your hand? Let's make this our prayer. Sing this chorus together and just make this your prayer. Holiness.